It was a turning point in history. On June 12th in 1987, President Ronald Reagan spoke to the people of West Berlin at the base of the Brandenburg Gate near the Berlin Wall. As you well know, at that time, there was a wall which literally and symbolically separated the free world from the communist rule of the Soviet Union. And due to the amplification system being used, the president's words could be heard on the eastern side of the wall, the communist-controlled side of the wall. And the address that he delivered on that day is considered by many to be uh, the beginning of the end of the Cold War and the fall of communism. He had a, a famous line in that speech where he said very simply, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Well, this morning we're going to talk about tearing down walls. And we're going to see that God understood that for the church to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, some walls would have to be torn down. So they would go to all people with that good news. And so keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 9 as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. I'd like to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Truth with no mixture of error. Let me just say quickly, uh, it's good to be back. We had some uh, wonderful vacation time, got to see our families in Florida but we're thrilled to be back with our church family. Missed you and excited to be back with you. I want to say to the choir, thank you for that welcome back song. That was great. Um, that was just for me, right? Was that not just for me? That was okay. All right. Glad to have the glad to have the choir back. Wasn't that awesome? Good stuff. Thou, O Lord. But this morning we're in Acts chapter ten, verse nine. The Bible says. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds, notice, all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, "'Rise, Peter!' Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened how many times? Three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause to ask your blessing upon this time. We believe with all of our hearts that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So Holy Spirit of God, as your word is preached, would you anoint the message? Would you anoint me, the messenger? Would you anoint the hearers of this word? That our lives would be transformed. That we would leave this place different and we, will n- we would never be the same because of what you do today, Lord, in this room, in our lives. So would you move with power? Would you help us to see the majesty and, and the, the greatness of Jesus in these moments? 
And we'll thank you for that grace. Lord, establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The last time we were together, we began Acts chapter 10. And we studied Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion living in Caesarea. And God uh, spoke to him through an angel. And God recognized that Cornelius was seeking him. He was seeking him through the vehicle of Judaism. So he needed to hear the gospel to be saved, but he was seeking the one true God. And so God appeared to him by an angel and said, I want you to send for Peter, he's over in Joppa, so that he can come to you and share with you the rest of the story. So you can hear about Jesus, place your faith in him, and be saved. So we studied Cornelius in depth a few weeks ago. But the scene shifts in verse 9 to Peter. And God had to do some things in Peter's life to prepare him to go to Cornelius in Caesarea and share that good news. We're going to see what God did specifically by giving him a vision. And I want to walk through this vision and and look at five aspects of this vision to help us to understand it better. First of all, I want you to notice the context of this vision. The context of this vision. It says there in Verse 9, the next day as they, the the messengers from Cornelius going to get Peter, as they were on their journey from Caesarea to Joppa and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about noon to pray. I think it's highly significant that we notice that God spoke to Peter while he was praying. Don't, Don't miss that. It was in the context of prayer that God gave Peter some very specific instructions and direction for his life. And we need to understand that that's what prayer is. Prayer is not simply some religious ritual that we do so that we can get some some points from God. Prayer is a, a building of a relationship with God whereby we want Him to conform us to His will and His way. And we know that's the purpose of prayer because over in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, prayer is aligning our hearts with God's heart. That's what prayer is all about. So when we pray, we ought to go expecting him to guide us expecting him to lead us, expecting him to direct us. So let me say it like this. When you pray, you need to be ready for God's direction. You're not just going through the motions. You are spending time with God. And you ought to expect him to move in your life. You ought to expect him to lead you and guide you through your prayer life. You see, when we pray without seeking God's guidance or without listening to God's guidance, it's an affront to God. It's disrespectful to God. Have you ever had someone ask you your opinion on something and ask you for advice and you tell them and then they totally disregard what you said? Like you give them advice and they do the exact opposite thing? How does that make you feel, right? makes you feel disrespected. Well, that's how it is when we go to God in prayer, but we don't have ears to hear. We're just going through the motions. We don't want to hear what God has to say. We're totally disregarding His direction for our lives. That's disrespectful. So when you pray, expect God to guide and and be ready to surrender, listen, to whatever God has to say to you. 
That's what prayer ought to be all about. When you pray, God may call you to do something that's radical and maybe, maybe move somewhere for the purpose of sharing the gospel or, or surrendering to some sort of, of, of service for Him. But, but when you pray, be ready for His direction. Notice the context of this vision. Secondly, notice the content of this vision. I want you to see what the vision was all about. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open. Here's the vision. And something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So I want you to to notice what Peter saw. Peter saw animals on this sheet that were considered unclean according to Jewish ceremonial laws found in Leviticus chapter 11. If you go to Leviticus 11, you see this long list of foods that were clean and could be eaten by the Jewish people and foods that were considered unclean and were not to be eaten by the Jewish people. So on this sheet, Peter sees unclean animals. And that's what he uh, notices. It was probably very striking for him to see these unclean animals on this sheet. And it's interesting to note, how different it would have been if we would have been on that roof. See, when Peter saw the sheet, he probably saw a pig and thought, there's an unclean pig. If we were on the roof, we would have thought bacon and sausage, right? We would have seen it totally different. But Peter sees these unclean animals, and there's a, a revulsion in him. Like, I don't, I don't deal with unclean, I don't eat unclean animals, I don't deal with unclean animals. That's what he saw, the, a sheet full of all types of animals. But third, I want you to notice the command of the vision. We, we notice what Peter saw, but I want you to notice what Peter heard. Look what it says in verse 13. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That command, rise, kill and eat, those commands are imperative in the Greek language. In other words, they carry them the weight of command. This is not optional. God is commanding him, arise, kill and eat. And look at how Peter responds in verse 14. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything, never eaten anything that is common or unclean. In other words, Peter's saying, I've abided by the list of of food in Leviticus 11. I've only eaten those things called clean, never eaten anything considered unclean. So I can't can't eat these unclean animals because I've never done that before. I I don't do that. I'm an, an orthodox Jew. But then notice what it says in verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call what? Common. And this happened three times. The thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now, the command to kill and eat ceremonially unclean animals has great significance. I want to just walk you through what the food laws, the dietary laws were all about and how we are to understand those laws today because this will be really helpful to you. First of all, notice that the food laws and other ceremonial laws in the Old Testament were meant to establish categories of clean and unclean. So so God wanted his people, the Jewish people, to understand there were things to consider clean and things to consider unclean. He wanted them to have those categories in their mind. Look what it says over in Leviticus chapter 10. Turn to the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 10 was the last time you turned to Leviticus. All right? Good stuff in there. Notice what it says in Leviticus chapter 10. Verse 10. 
The Lord says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So God is clear. I'm going to establish some categories that I want the people to understand. There are things that are to be considered clean, things to be considered unclean, things that are common, things that are uncommon. So God wanted to to clearly delineate these categories. Why? Why did God want them to have these, these, these categories of clean and unclean? We'll look at the next blank. Israel's observance of these rules distinguished them from other nations. Why the dietary laws? Why the laws about different types of fabric and all of that? Why these, 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 these very minute, um, intricate laws? Well, God wanted to distinguish his people from all the other nations. Look what it says over in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. The Lord says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes... And all my rules and do them. Why? That the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I've said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore, watch this, separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make for yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you. There's the key word. Separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. In other words, the reason God gave them the dietary laws and the other ceremonial laws was to distinguish them from all the pagan nations in the land. God wanted to show the watching world what a nation looks like that obeys the one true God. And so he gives them these laws to distinguish them, to make them look different than the nations that were surrounding them. Now here's why that's important. There's no longer, listen to me, a need for one nation to be distinguished from another Because God desires to make Jews and Gentiles one body through Christ. That's what God's doing in the world right now. Ephesians 2 is very clear that God wants to save Jews and God wants to save Gentiles, people from very very different backgrounds and ethnicities, and he wants to bring them together and make them one. God wants to show his glory by making people who are very different into one glorious body. That's what God is doing in the world. So there's no longer a need for Jews to be distinguished from Gentiles by the food that they eat or do not eat because God is busy not distinguishing them but making them into one with Gentile believers. This means, listen, that the food laws, the dietary laws of Leviticus 11 are now obsolete. You say, wait, really? The food laws are now obsolete? Well, listen to what it says In Mark 7, Jesus speaks this. Look what it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 18. He said to them, the religious leaders, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods Clean. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He declared all foods clean. And he said, 
What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now the reason Jesus is emphasizing this to the religious leaders is because the religious leaders were keeping the dietary laws. And they thought if they kept the dietary laws according to Leviticus chapter 11, they were righteous before God. And people who did not, i.e. Gentiles, were unrighteous. And Jesus wants to understand you're missing the point. It's not what goes in that makes you righteous or unrighteous. It's what comes out. It's what comes from your heart. Your heart needs to be cleaned up. Your, your heart needs to be changed if you're going to, to, to stand before me. That's what he wanted them to understand. So according to the words of Jesus, the food laws are now obsolete. In other words, Gentiles... Listen, non-Jews, and by the way, I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. And if you're, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Gentiles can now be considered clean, listen, even though they do not observe the Old Testament ceremonial law. Even though we don't practice Leviticus 11 in our diet, we can still be considered clean. Why? Because we are made clean, not by keeping the dietary laws. We are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes us clean. He died on the cross for our sins. And when we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, his blood is applied to our lives and his blood washes away our sins. We're forgiven and our hearts are transformed. God makes us different from the inside out. And so we don't have to practice food laws to be considered clean or, un, or, or clean in God's eyes. We are clean based upon the finished work of Jesus. We're, we're clean because we've embraced him as our Lord and Savior. Here's how John Piper says it. With the coming of Jesus into the world and with the final cleansing sacrifice of Christ now offered and with the command to take the gospel to all ethnic groups in the world now given... The old ceremonial laws about foods are lifted, and that barrier to the Gentile world is removed. So Peter's vision had two points. The food laws are fulfilled and ended in Jesus, and the people they kept you separate from, the nations of the Gentiles, are, are not to be considered unclean or common. In other words, don't look at Gentiles as unclean because they don't keep the food laws you keep. They are clean because of Jesus. So that's why Peter has this vision. Help him understand that God is doing that in the Gentile people. So what does that mean for for us? Well, let me give you an example. We just got back from vacation, had a great time visiting our families in Florida. And on one day, we went out on a boat and in the Gulf of Mexico, and we scalloped. You, you kind of snorkel around, you pick up scallops off the bottom, and then you clean them, and, and you go in, and you fry them and eat them fresh. And they were delicious. So I had fried scallops. And at one meal, I had fried shrimp. We had as much seafood as we could. Fried shrimp, fried scallops. Now, according to Leviticus 11, those, those foods are considered unclean. But I don't live according to Leviticus 11. I don't have to keep the dietary laws. I'm made clean by Jesus. So I ate shrimp and scallops, and it didn't bother my conscience at all. I enjoyed them and would get seconds if I could. You say, well... I keep the Jewish dietary laws. Well, that's fine. You can do that. There's no, there's no harm in keeping the Jewish dietary laws. If you want to do that, you, you, you can do that. But understand, they don't make you righteous. 
they're, they're now obsolete. You don't have to keep them. You can, you can eat things that are considered unclean on the list in Leviticus chapter 11 because God declared all foods clean. He said to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. So if you want to keep the Jewish dietary laws, you do that. I'm going to eat barbecue. Just be honest with you. And it won't bother me a bit. It won't bother me a bit because God has declared those foods clean. And so we see here the content and the command of the vision. Arise, kill, and eat. The food laws are now obsolete. Don't judge the Gentiles by whether or not they keep the food laws. They need Jesus. Go to them so they can be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see about this vision. I want you to notice the comprehension of this vision. Here's the question. Does Peter get it? Does he get the message God's trying to convey in the sheet and the the animals on the sheet? Well, he does. Look what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 17. Acts 10, verse 17. We're going to see that Peter gets it. The Bible says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold... The men who were sent by Cornelius, Gentiles, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So the the moment he's trying to figure out the vision, there's a knock at the door. And these three Gentile men show up. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Now, I believe there's a, a, a connection between the vision being shown three times to Peter and three men showing up. I I believe this is when Peter starts to get it. Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. I believe this is when Peter gets it. Oh, that's what the vision is about. I see this vision that I should not call things common or unclean anymore. I can rise, kill, and eat even unclean. I'm not bound by the Jewish dietary laws. And, and while I'm thinking about the vision, some Gentile men show up and invite me to go back and speak to their Gentile boss in his Gentile home to his Gentile family. Maybe God's trying to get the point across that I should go to the Gentiles and not let the dietary laws keep me from engaging them with the gospel. Maybe God wants to tear down that wall so I can go to them and share good news. You see, Peter needed a major paradigm shift if he was going to be a great commission leader. Jesus said, I want the gospel to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want Gentiles to to hear the gospel and be saved. And if that was going to happen, leaders like Peter would have to be on board. They could not let things like the dietary laws keep them from engaging Gentiles with the good news. The vision that Peter was given, and the circumstances, the men knocking on his door right when he was perplexed by the vision, helped him to understand that God wanted to save Gentiles just like he wanted to save Jews. Now we use the phrase, when someone grasps an idea, the light comes on. I believe in this passage, when Peter encounters these three Gentile men and, and, and he's told about Cornelius and his family, the light comes on. He gets it. 
God wanted to tear down that wall of dietary living, according to Leviticus 11, so that he would not stay distant from the Gentiles, but he would go to them and engage them so he could share good news about Jesus with them. So Peter gets it. He comprehends the vision. But there's a final thing I want you to see about this vision. We've talked about the con. Uh, context of the vision. We've talked about the content of the vision, the command of the vision, the comprehension of the vision. But fifth and last, I want you to notice the culmination of the vision. What happens as a result of Peter responding to what God is doing in his life? Well, look what it says in verse 23. He invited them, these Gentile men, in to be his guests. The next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, that's a big deal. They entered Caesarea. Caesarea was on the Mediterranean coast, and it was a city that had been rebuilt by Herod the Great to pay tribute to the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, the the city, Caesarea, was named after the the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. It was the center of Roman administration in, in the province of Palestine, and it served as a showpiece for Roman culture. It wasn't a Jewish city. It was a, 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 a Gentile city, a Roman city. It even had a temple dedicated to worshiping Caesar. The Jews hated Caesarea. As a matter of fact, they would often call it the daughter of Edom. They kind of had the same view of Caesarea that many people have of Las Vegas, you know, Sin City, right? And, and they, didn't, they didn't want to go there. They didn't want anything to do with Caesarea, The population of the city had more Gentiles than Jews. And according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, riots between these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, sparked off the Jewish war against Rome in AD 66. Josephus claims that the entire Jewish population of 20,000 people in Caesarea was massacred. So there was great conflict between Jews and Gentiles. Great tension between both groups. And it says here in the Bible that Peter comes into Caesarea. Verse 24, they entered Caesarea. And not only did Peter enter Caesarea, Peter entered Cornelius' home. Look what it says in verse 24. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, he walked in the home and look what happens. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So not only does Peter come into Caesarea, watch this, Peter steps into a Gentile home for the very first time. This is big. And not only does he step into a home for the very first time of a Gentile family, he eats with them. So how do you know that he eats with them? Look over at Acts chapter 11 where Peter's explaining this encounter to the church. It says in verse 2, When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men, i.e. Gentiles, and ate with them. They They were aghast that Peter would go to Caesarea, enter a Gentile home, and eat food, eat dinner with Gentiles. There's some major stuff happening. Peter is, is, is encountering these things for the very first time. So he goes to Caesarea. 
enters the Gentile home, eats with them. In other words, here's what's happening in Peter's life. And this is in your notes. God moved in Peter's life to remove ethnic barriers that would keep him from engaging people with the gospel. Let me say that again. God was moving in Peter's life to remove ethnic barriers that would keep him from engaging people with the gospel. God was changing, radically changing Peter's paradigm. So he would not say, I'm not going near the unclean Gentiles. He said, no, I will go to them so they can be made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in this. That's the culmination of the vision. Peter obeys. And Peter encounters his family, and we'll study in the next few weeks that Peter shares the gospel with them, and the whole household is saved, the spirit falls. It's awesome how God changes this Gentile family by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Peter needed some walls torn down. And you and I need some walls torn down, don't we? Let me give you two reasons you need walls torn down in your life. First of all, you need walls torn down in your life to be a more effective missionary for Jesus. If there's something in your life that is keeping you at arm's length from any other group of people for whatever reason, you need some walls torn down. And we understand there are all types of prejudice, right? Of course, we live in the South, so we understand racial prejudice, conflict between black and white. We see what's happening in our nation in Ferguson and Baltimore and in different places, and it's so sad. And there's still so much, so much to do in, in race relations in our nation. But you know who ought to lead the way in that? Followers of Jesus Christ. Because we understand what the Bible teaches. That God makes everybody. And, and Jesus died for everybody. And because God made and loves everybody, we ought to love and respect everybody, right? That's just the Bible. And so there's racial prejudice that, that some people hold on to. And, and that, that, listen, that wall needs to be torn down in your life if it's keeping you from loving other folks and sharing good news with them. There's socioeconomic prejudice where we want to just hang around folks that live in our same you know, standard of living, that have the same stuff we do, live in the same neighborhoods we live in. We're comfortable around those folks, so those are the folks we want to be around. And, and we, can, we can develop socioeconomic prejudice where we look down on those that aren't like us. We can live with nationalistic prejudice. I'm from America. There are all these foreigners coming in. Can I give you a heads up? Your ancestors were foreigners. That's why you're here. And, 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 and maybe we should see that God is moving in mighty ways to bring the nations to our doorstep. So we can share good news with them. And they can go back and make a difference in the nations they're from. There's no, there's no room in the Christian life for nationalistic prejudice. We should love people no matter where they're from and seek to engage them with the gospel. There's, there's, there can be age prejudice. These young people, the way they dress, and da, 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 da. listen to me. Young people need Jesus, Amen. And if you've been saved for 25, 30, 35, 40 years, you might be the, the perfect person to share the gospel with them. Because I promise you, if someone who is a, 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 an older adult shares the gospel with them, they'll hear you out. And God tells us in the Bible that the older are to teach the younger, right? 
So don't let age prejudice keep you from loving a certain group of people because you're not comfortable with the way they dress or talk or whatever. There are all types of prejudice that can develop in our lives. And those prejudices become walls that keep us from being effective missionaries. Loving people, sharing the gospel with them. But listen to me. Not only do we need walls torn down so we can be effective missionaries, we need walls torn down so we can be fit for heaven. In other words, if you struggle with people that talk differently than you do and look differently than you do, you are going to be miserable in heaven. Because the Bible teaches that around the throne of the Lamb of God, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every background, every ethnicity worshiping the Lamb who was slain, right? And if you can't love people that are different than you here on this earth, you're going to be miserable in heaven. And if you can't get past your prejudice, I wonder if you're going to heaven. And let me tell you why I say that. If someone is a redeemed follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in them. And the Holy Spirit will begin to deal with issues in their life that need to be addressed. He does in my life. And if you've got some prejudice in your life for whatever reason, whatever your background is, whatever, wherever it comes from, if you're saved and you're surrendered and you're in the Word of God, I promise you the Holy Spirit of God will not leave you alone about your racism. He won't leave you alone about your prejudice. He'll deal with it so you can repent of it and get right. So if your prejudices don't bother you, I wonder if the Spirit of God truly resides in you. So wait, that's, that's tough talk. That's what we need to hear. Peter had to go through this paradigm shift. We all need to go through this paradigm shift to be better missionaries, more effective missionaries, and to be fit for heaven. Let me illustrate it like this. This is kind of a silly illustration, but it kind of gets the point across. It gets the point across what God was doing in Peter's life. If God wanted me to practice veterinary medicine, if he wanted me just to change careers and be a vet, he would have to do something in my life about cats. I'm just not a cat. If you're a cat person, that's good. That's fine. I'm not a cat person. I've got stories I could tell. I'm not going to tell them now, but, but I, I'm, not, I'm not a cat person. And so I know that if I was a vet, I'd be dealing with cats, right? So I'm going to have to change if I was going to be effective in that role. Listen to me. If we're going to be effective witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be fit for heaven, we've got to learn to love all people made in the image of God and care about them enough to share good news with them that will save their soul. Right? That's the culmination of this vision. God used it to lead Peter to share the gospel with a Gentile home. So here's the, the, the point of the sermon. Let me sum it up for you. God desires to tear down the walls of prejudice in our lives so that we will love all people and seek to share the gospel with them. That's what I, think, I believe that's what this passage is about. That's how it applies to us. God desires to tear down the walls of prejudice in our lives, whatever the prejudice is, so that we will love all people and seek to share the gospel with them. That's how this passage applies to our lives. I want to close with this story that a pastor friend told me. One day, 
this friend of mine had an older gentleman in the church walk up to him and say, I need to repent. He said, what do you need to repent of? He said, I need to repent of racism. I've been racist and it's a sin and I need to repent. And, And here's how this man, this older gentleman in the church came to that conclusion. He worked in the nursery. Matter of fact, he and his wife kept the bed babies, and he would rock these little babies. Well, a family in his church adopted a little baby from Africa. And they started bringing this baby to the nursery. And this man, who had some stuff in his past that he was holding on to, began to rock this black baby from Africa and began to love this little baby. And began to see that his racism was wrong. And so that was his Joppa moment. Holding that baby was his his moment like Peter had on the rooftop where God changed his paradigm. That was his Joppa moment. And he repented of his racism and was transformed by that. I wonder if God needs to deal with some stuff in your life. I mean, let's just do business with the Lord, amen? I wonder if God needs to do something in you. I wonder if there are some walls in your life that need to be torn down. So you can love all people and go to all people with the good news of Jesus Christ.